Farmers fear the tart cherry industry will be dead in 10 years. That's because the government squashed foreign tariffs on them this month. What we're in the middle of right now is a wholesale change in the way that people understand the economics of farming and agriculture in Northwest Michigan. Cherry farmers are scrambling to figure out what's next. Also, a man's childhood dreams of being a merchant marine come true after a head injury. That's coming up on Points North from Interlochen Public Radio, where we hear about life in northern Michigan through the news, the people, and the places. I'm Noelle Riley. Michigan's tart cherry farmers were dealt a devastating blow this month. Tariffs announced in late 2019 were thrown out, and the industry has been losing money for a decade. IPR's Max Johnston reports. An industry group for cherry farmers held a meeting in Traverse City. The gathering is usually an opportunity to network and rub shoulders with other growers, but this meeting was different. You know, everybody came expecting a birthday party and ended up at a funeral. That's Nels Veliket, a cherry grower from Kuwaitin. Veliket and other tart cherry farmers are struggling to stay afloat. Many thought tariffs from the federal government would help them compete with cheap foreign competition. Tariffs placed last year on Turkish cherry producers cut some imports by 80 percent. But the federal government revoked them, saying U.S. growers exaggerated how many cherries were coming in from Turkey and said they didn't have a big effect on prices. Veliket says that's just flat out not true, but the industry doesn't have the time or cash to appeal it. In the meantime, he expects Turkey to once again flood the U.S. market with their tart cherries. Uh, everybody knows what Turkey's been doing to the tart cherry industry, and that hasn't changed, isn't changing, and won't change. At the industry meeting, several farmers said they felt helpless to fight what could be the slow death of the industry in Michigan. Dave Meister is a third-generation cherry farmer in Onekama. He expects to get 8 to 15 cents per pound for his tart cherries this year. That's about 10 cents less than last year and well below his cost of production. My kids neither one want anything to do with the... I mean, it doesn't take even a rocket scientist to figure out this is not working going forward. There's no way to make a decent living. You can work all day and all night and still not make minimum wage. He says the industry has to take drastic steps to save itself, starting with a type of supply control called the federal marketing order. Let's go back a bit here. Some years, cherry crops produce so many cherries that their price could plummet. It's basic supply and demand. If there's too many cherries, everyone's price goes down. To prevent this, every year, an industry board withholds a certain amount of cherries from the market. By setting those aside, some are frozen and preserved for later, they keep tart cherry prices from getting too low. In 2019, the industry voted to withhold 35% of that year's yield. Meister says he's part of a growing group of farmers that think that's a bad idea. He says sell what you got, the argument being that would increase competition. If you don't have a market for your fruit, probably shouldn't put it up in the freezer, probably shouldn't go borrow money, and probably shouldn't sit on inventory you don't have a sale for. With domestic cherry growers losing more and more of the U.S. market to imports, they've been storing more and more cherries because of the marketing order, and preserving them costs money. 
There is a recent push to get insurance coverage on those cherries to cover some of those costs, but farmers can only hold on to them for so long before they spoil. Meister says selling all your cherries might increase demand, but that free-for-all means farm closures are inevitable. Other farmers say the tart cherry industry could really benefit from a crop failure. If supply were low, then theoretically the price would shoot back up. Now, to be clear, this federal marketing order is still very popular in the industry. On top of maintaining a healthy price, the plan includes a communal budget for marketing tart cherries as a healthy and tasty product. Here's Nels Veliket again. He says the order has been a lifesaver. The operative phrase here is we throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's a lot more to the federal marketing order than just supply management. But when we talk about collective data and we talk about collective marketing, you know, those are things that really do help us as an industry. Veliket says the root of their problems are related to trade. That needs to be changed, not the marketing order. It's up for a renewal vote in March. A report from Michigan State University found the tart cherry industry brought $91 million to the state in 2016, but that has been declining at a sharp rate. Bill Knudsen is an ag economist at MSU and a co-author of that report. He says the industry may be gone in 10 years. That would mean a significant economic and cultural change to northern Michigan. Some people may grow different crops. Some people may get into the winery business. Will you see farmland being converted into housing, all kinds of questions. As a last-ditch push, the tart cherry industry is ramping up lobbying efforts. They want the USDA to buy more cherries for food banks and meals in prisons. They want the state to put cherries on lunch menus in public schools. In January, they filed a complaint with U.S. Customs to investigate more foreign imports from Brazil, who they say are breaking U.S. trade law. Some farmers say if all that doesn't happen soon, Michigan's cherry industry could be dead. For Points North, I'm Max Johnston. At the start of a new decade, our community reporters from Red Pine Radio have been bringing us stories about dramatic life change. Today, we meet a man whose demeanor changed entirely when he suffered a brain injury. But there was a happy ending. Red Pine Radio's T.J. Harrison has the story. In September 1999, Kenneth Stearns was riding his motorcycle through Meriden, Kansas, when a truck pulled out in front of him. All I remember on the accident is the truck when he pulled out in front of me, and I had to brake and turn, and as soon as I braked, I lost everything. I don't remember anything after that. Kenny was thrown from his bike and his head hit the pavement. At the hospital, he was diagnosed with a severe traumatic brain injury. Doctors told his family if Kenny survived, it would be with permanent brain damage. Sitting there in the hospital at 38 years old, Kenny was failing the most basic cognitive tests. I mean, I couldn't figure out why a square wouldn't fit into a circle. I had an IQ of 54, and a 54 IQ is unable to handle things on your own. Days passed, then weeks, and Kenny did not die, but it was nearly four months after the crash before he began to show the first real improvement, when he was finally able to recognize that a round peg could only fit in a round hole, not in a square one. Six months after that milestone, Kenny went back to operating his business, a large, successful retail carpet and flooring store in Topeka, Kansas. But his friends, family, and employees noticed that something about Kenny had changed. Before his injury, he'd been known for being a tough, strict boss and pretty full of himself in general. Patty Ard worked for an associated supplier, and she remembers the first time she met Kenny. When we left the store, I said to my boss, 
that guy is the most arrogant guy I've ever seen. He is an I was kind of mean. You didn't want to cross ways with me if you were my employee. I mean, I was extremely arrogant. And many people have told me this. Even friends who still like me, they said you didn't think you didn't stink at all. <laughs> the new Kenny was less severe with people, more understanding and just plain nicer. Patty noticed the difference after running into him more than a year after the accident. I was just like, wow, this guy's totally different. I mean, he's not arrogant like I thought he was at all. He, I mean, he seems very humble and very friendly. Not only was Kenny nicer to her, he wanted to take her out. Eventually, she did go out with him, and they dated for three years, something Patty says never would have happened before his accident. But Kenny's personality change came with a downside, at least as far as his business was concerned. He just wasn't as good at his job anymore. I think a lot of the reasons why I was so successful in the company is because I was pushy, and I was strong, and I was forceful. I mean, the company was not doing as well after I came back into charge. Kenny started imagining a different life for himself, a simpler one, far away from landlocked Kansas. He'd begun to dream about becoming a merchant sailor. I've always had this love for the water. And you know how simple it is living on a boat, sailing around the world? It's pretty simple. As a boy, Kenny had spent his summers on boats in Grand Traverse Bay. Then out of high school, he'd served in the Coast Guard, so it wasn't completely out of the blue when Kenny sold his company and moved to Northport, Michigan, determined to become a merchant seaman. He took classes at the Great Lakes Maritime Academy in Traverse City. During his free time, he'd often watch the ships on Lake Michigan. I'd go sit out on Peterson Park and watch the freighters go by, and I would just sit there and say, that's going to be me, it's going to be me. Kenny's training took him from Traverse City out to Piney Point, Maryland, where, alongside men half his age, he became certified as an able-bodied seaman. When he was assigned to his first merchant ship, he was 45 years old. I was in love with everything that I was doing. I could hardly wait to get up. I felt like a kid. And you know what? Very few people go through their life and will not experience the job that they can't hardly wait to wake up and do. And for this, Kenny credits the motorcycle accident that nearly killed him. Am I allowed to call it a blessing? It's really not a... Being in an accident like that is no blessing. But coming out of it and having this type of change of who you are and how you are and how you think was a blessing. It changed who I was for the better, and it really did. I know that's the way it happened. Kenny is semi-retired now. He left the Merchant Marines in 2013, but looks back on those years as the best of his life. For Interlochen Public Radio, I'm T.J. Harrison. That's Points North for this week. I'm Noelle Riley. Peter Payette helped me produce the show. Catch Points North every Friday. Have a great weekend. <laughs>